Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dragon Store at 11warriors.com. Bo and Johnny recording on a Monday night as we get you set. Uh, this is the, the calm before the storm. The last couple of days have been, my friend. And then the storm starts to come uh, in terms of the former Buckeyes with the NFL Combine, in terms of the Buckeye basketball team with four enormous games left before the conference tournament, and hopefully the, big t- the, uh, the NCAA tournament as well. Uh, we've got the enormous news that Jonah Jackson transferred from Rutgers to Ohio State, and this is where we are, right? I mean, this is this is February, and and especially without National Signing Day being the first week in February, you just you lose a lot of juice this time of year. I I think anyway, I, I miss it tremendously. Um, so let's start with the let's start on the hardwood where Chris Holman's team loses to Maryland. It was a you watched the game if you cared you watched it and if you didn't you looked at the box score and it was a familiar one where you know where points are coming from Dwayne Washington Jr. has been playing better as it's gone along but in watching the game Johnny at no point did I think Ohio State is going to beat Maryland um no. even when they got it close a couple of times at no point was I'm like oh this is sustainable it just it just wasn't like they have not beaten a team of consequence since December really um when you think about it I guess some people might give them credit for at Indiana I suppose it's a decent win it's a desperate Indian team at that time, although it's just totally free falling now. Um, but you got to go back to like Minnesota, Illinois in December, uh, the win at Cincinnati. I mean, those are kind of, it's been a long time since this team has beaten a team that's a tournament team and they'll have three out of their last four remaining. Three of them will be tournament teams. And, and Johnny, I think they got to get one of them. I think they got to go two and two over the next four. Um, because they're just when you look at the resume, it's just really lacking in quality wins against teams that are going to make the tournament. They're just it's scarce. I was actually going to ask you what you think their record needs to be. I agree with you. I think two and two is exactly what they need to do. Uh, you, I mean, That's Maryland, minimum, right? Excuse me. Well, you got to get Northwestern, obviously, right. and then you got to get somebody else. You got to find a way to you know to get a win against a quality team. And they're, they're right now they're they're marginal. They're like in the forties, I think, in RPR or whatever they replaced it with. Yeah, And so, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to say, and I feel bad saying this, but it's hard for me to say that looking at this team that they clearly deserve to be, you know, a, a March Madness team. And the, the crazy thing about the Maryland game that drove me, just drove me nuts, is that for basically, so you, you're pretty much with them for most of the first half. Like, it, it ends fairly close. I mean, they're down by like seven, but they, you know, they, they've made some runs. And then they go straight cold for the first half of the second half. And it looks like they're completely out of it. It's like, all right, well, they're going to lose by 20. And then they go mm-hmm. on this run where they it looks like they make a game of it. They're down by two, and then they just go flat again. Yeah. And it's just – there's no consistency. There is no, no consistency in the offense. And it's not that they're not playing hard. It's not that they're, you know, they're not trying to, to make things happen. They just don't have the talent to do it. And it's – you know, that's what you get. I mean, you get high volume shooters that just aren't making their shots and they do for a little bit and it's cool. And then they don't, and then they lose. And it's, you know, you've seen that against good teams because they just simply can't match up with, uh, you know, some of the athleticism and the talent that even a team like Maryland can bring to bear. And then I don't know what that says about the tournament for Ohio state, but there it is. Yeah. I think it's, I think Ohio state right now is fine where the tournament is concerned. Uh, most yeah. of the stuff that I see has them as a nine seed. Most of the bracketology stuff I see, most of the projections have them as a nine seed. The, the big 10 is getting a tremendous benefit of the doubt That's based true. on the fact that there are not that, that like the PAC 12 doesn't have that many teams that are going to get in. Right. That's what it really comes down to. There just aren't that many power leagues 
they're going to get that, that that have eight nine bids. And so because of that, you know, the Big Ten, the, the committee's going to look at the Big Ten and go, look, you guys, we got to get you guys eight. Right now, we're the seven. We're the seven seed right now um, in the league. And if the tournament started right now, if the conference tournament started right now, we'd be the seven. We'd play the 10, which would be Rutgers. That would be huge if that happened. And 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 you're saying to yourself, uh, it would be Rutgers, then I believe you'd probably have to play the two seed, which is Purdue, if the tournament started right now. And that's at seven and nine in the league. And you're the seventh seed. So you looked at this league and you go, well, eight have got to get in. Well, the eight seed right now is Minnesota. Minnesota is seven and 10 and they're yeah. 17 and 11. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, people talk about, about what this league and the depth of it. And there is, and I think the first, the first six, when you talk about Iowa, Wisconsin, Maryland, Iowa, Wisconsin, Maryland are all very, very solid teams that I could see getting to the sweet 16. Um, Michigan, Purdue, and Michigan State are teams that I think could all get to the Elite Eight and Final Four if if things went their way. Um, I don't think we have a national champion in the mix. I don't think there's anybody in this league that can win a national championship. But I think those, I think those three. And and by the way, this is what the Big Ten is. I right. mean, it's been a long time. We've got what two national champions since '89. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is what we are. We've played for it. I mean, Michigan State, us, we've played for it. Um, you know, the one time, um, and, and Michigan's, Michigan's played for it twice, um, but we haven't won a national championship. It's, it's the Flintstones and it's Glenn Rice. Right. That's it. You know, I mean, since, since 89. So it's, it's, this is kind of what the league is a little bit. And I, so I think, you know, people say you got to get eight in. Well, why do you got to get eight in from the Big Ten? And the reason for that, when you start going into the rest of the leagues, is where the problem is. If you think about, I mean, the, the best example is the Pac-12 because it is just it's a disaster this year. There's other leagues too. Like, you know, even a team, even a league like the mountain West, that used to get four or five teams in from time to time. That's probably a two bid league with, with Utah state and with Nevada. And, it, and if you, if you go to the PAC 12s, I'm kind of scrolling through here. Okay. Right. Here's where you run into problem. So Washington, obviously they're the, they're the best team in the PAC 12 and they're 25th in the country, right? That's the number one seed in the PAC 12. The second team in the PAC 12 is Arizona state. They are 10 and five in the league, 19 and eight overall. The third team is Oregon State. They're 17 and 9. It could be, it's very possible, depending on what happens the last couple of weeks in the Pac 12, that they would get, be a one or possibly a, a one, two, or three team league, but maybe even a one team league, depending on how far Arizona State or, or Oregon State falls over the next couple of weeks. So then who's going to fill that void? Well, it's going to be the Big Ten. It's going to be the SEC. It's going to be the ACC. I assure you that all of a sudden the committee is not going to start rewarding um, some of these other leagues. Like, it's not like all of a sudden they're going to give two bids to the Mac. They're not. They historically right. haven't. They're not going to start now. Like it's just the way they go about their business is they keep the money in the power conferences. And um, there's the, the league that Murray State's in is a great example of a league that should have two teams because Murray State and I want to say um, the other one out of uh, it's Davidson. That's no, not Davidson. It's a school out of um, uh, Nashville. That those there's two teams in that league, and Murray State being one, that, that that probably two of those teams deserve to get in, but then that would cause the committee to give an at-large bid to a non-power five. It's Belmont to a non-power. Belmont is 23 and four. Murray State's 23 and four. They're both 14 and two in the league. Austin P is 13 and three and 21 and eight. Are they going to let two or three teams from that league get in? Probably I doubt not. it. Yeah. No. So I, it's interesting because so I mean, you know, the power. 
Yeah, and, and I was about to say, like, you look at some of these conferences. We were actually talking about this on Slack the other day, is that you have a situation in some of these leagues where, and I'm talking about the smaller ones, where, you know, I'm a big fan of, of like, uh, you know, Qu- Quinnipini- Qu- oh, God, I can't even say it now. Quinnipiniac. And, and yeah. uh, what's the other team with them that does the polling? Marist, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got a, you've got a, yeah, you've got a, You've got a league where, like the the person, the team in charge, the team running it is is not even a five hundred team in some cases. Like that's that's the weird part about this, and it gets so yeah. like you don't really, I guess you don't you don't have the pedigree because you have so many different teams. And you're right, the selection committee looks at teams that they feel will get quality. The Big Ten has provided a lot of you know B B plus tier quality and. I think obviously that helps Ohio State's case. I think that's gonna, you know, help them, you know, build the resume a little bit. But I still think you got to get a like a good, like a good-ish win at the end of the season to really cement what you're doing. Because if you go out there and you win, you know, only one game going forward, and that's Northwestern. I don't know, man. Like I, I think that's such a a tricky precipice to kind of stand on because it's not. I don't know. It, it's it's interesting to me because the last month or so of Ohio state basketball has just not inspired any kind of confidence in me. And again, I don't know if the committee's looking that that closely. So maybe they just see the, the, you know, the conference and go, all right, well, this is a team that's worthy to be in, but man, if they look at those games individually and especially the way the offense is playing in general, you gotta get, you gotta get a quality win somewhere, like a quality ish win, because to me, that's, that's what I will, agree. You know, Iowa get you in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's got to go two and two. And that still has us at nine and 11 in the league. That's right. That's how little, you know, and here's another example, the big East. So the big East used to be a four or five bid league, right? I and mean, they're going to be, they're going to be two. It'll probably be just Villanova and Marquette. I don't know if St. John's will get in or not. They only have three teams in that league over 500 in the league play. I mean, it's, and that's what do you the think story. is going on with college basketball. I mean, I, that, think I mean, that's middle, so weird that they would be like that. The pac 12, I mean, they, you know, you got UCLA, you've got all these other powerhouse teams, or traditionally anyway. What's going on with that? I think that the middle class has caught up because of one and done. Yeah. So a lot of times, junior and senior laden, mid, small to mid, mid sized schools can beat power conferences because they're playing juniors and seniors and they yeah. played together a long time and they're beating them. Um, and then these, you know, these, there's so much parity. You know, sometimes parity can be, you know, confused as quality. And and I think that happens a little bit in our league where we go, boy, the Big Ten's so deep. And you go, well, I think there's a lot of crap teams in the Big Ten. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any team that can win a national championship, not one. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, none. I don't think Michigan State's winning a national title. They're probably your best bet. Purdue's got – Purdue, when's the last time Purdue made a run to an Elite Eight or a Final Four? I mean, it just sure. does, they don't do that. Michigan's the best coached by Beeline. He's proven that. Um, and the style they play is tough to play, so they would be the one you'd probably bet on most. But at most, you know, two of those three, or at most three of them, Maryland's not a team that's going to do anything in the tournament. Wisconsin, Iowa, they're a sweet 16 teams. All right, so now you, that's six. Now what about the rest of the league? I mean, us, Minnesota, Illinois, Rutgers, Nebraska, Indiana, Penn State, North- Northwestern, none of those do much of anything. I mean, they just don't. It's – the it's a it's a the middle the bottom the difference between this is the what I'm saying is like how much better are we really than Northwestern? Right, we beat them, right? We beat them, but it was close. Are, I'm, am I certain we're going to go over there and beat them? I'm not. I'm definitely <laughs> no. Not. 
No, there's you don't you wouldn't put I wouldn't put a single guarantee on this team at all. I would not say no, like right, even Penn State. Yeah. Look at Penn State. I mean, Penn State played everybody close. They just lost every single close game they played. <laughs> like if you had to go play in Happy Valley this week, would you be like, "Oh yeah, we got that"? No, I wouldn't. No, no. And Absolutely that's not. that's the the instance. What we're seeing at Ohio State is the instance that you see in the Big East. They, from the middle pack, there's there's not that much difference between the bottom and the in the middle. Uh, there's a big difference between the middle and the top, but there's not a big difference in all these leagues from the from the middle to the bottom. I just so, find it yeah. shocking what's happened in general. Like you, you look at, you know, Villanova, for example, right? Like going out and just yeah. getting housed by Xavier. I like that's the kind of thing that I look at and I'm like, this is I mean, for me, it's exciting. I mean, I, I like going into yeah. and some people, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of really bad takes on March Madness recently about how you just want to have these dominant teams and things like that. I mean, I love the chaos. I think it's great. But yeah. it's just it's baffling because I just remember as a kid watching this and going, all right, these are the five teams that are going to be great every single season, and it'll be fun to see if anybody can knock them off and let's see a Cinderella come out. And now, like you said, the, the parody, and, and you're absolutely right when you say parody does not necessarily mean quality, but the parody involved and the fact that you can, with a senior-laden team or even a junior-laden team, yeah. challenge a lot of these more inexperienced Power 5 teams – I think that creates such a different dynamic and yeah, it's, it's a weird, it is a weird situation. And I'm also curious what's going to, that's going to look like in the future because I think they're going to get rid of the, you know, the one and done thing. I think they'll go back to, yeah, that's coming quick. Yeah. I think that's definitely coming and probably exactly in time for allow, you know, LeBron James Jr. to, to make that choice. Um, (laughs) but, but seriously, but I, but you know, like I just, to me, it is really fascinating to see how it's kind of evolved and and how college basketball has changed. We, we talked about this amongst ourselves at 11 Warriors as well, which, you know, does that make college basketball better or worse? I I personally think that it's going to make college basketball better. I think that'll actually, you know, help college basketball in terms of quality and things like that. But, you know, other people may disagree. They may say that those, those players going to the NBA robs college basketball, a lot of talent. It, it will it will not make the interest more, no. Because if you if you're better with having Zion Williamson for a year than not, sure, yeah. So you're better having Anthony Davis for a year than not. Um, the quality of college basketball will go down. Uh, the, like the the better players are not going to be in playing college basketball, and it'll probably be in the beginning. Boy, <laughs> I think in the beginning it'll be, you know, fifty the ten to fifteen of the twenty best players in the country will all go pro, maybe more. Yeah, um, I think it'll be a groundswell at the beginning. You're going to be recruiting. The, the kids you'll be recruiting will be between, you know, when you think of a traditional rating system, kids between 20, the best players will be between 20 and 50. Um, so that's a big loss for college hoops. You know, you're not going to see the quality of player that you saw before, at least in the beginning until the NBA, and, until these kids start to flame out. And then, then I think, you know, the cream will rise to the top and, and those that fall off, now all of a sudden, I think that those that number will change a little bit, and there will be a correction to it. But I think in the beginning, it'll be, I mean, like I think about like Kentucky's entire class is just going to go pro. Like they won't go to Kentucky. <laughs> Same yeah. thing with Duke. Like I, all those Duke kids, they just go pro. They're not going to go to Duke. Right. Um, and some of them will even be marginal. You know, there will be the top twenty kids that'll just go straight to straight to the NBA. Well, and so the I, thought will be like if we don't get a good draft position or whatever like that, or we don't get drafted even, then we can just play in Europe or Asia or something like that, and, and still yeah, get paid. You know. Which is, I would like I to mean, see something I mean, where if the kids wanted to, if they if they made themselves eligible for the draft, I would like to see a scenario if they even if they liked where they were picked, 
um, if they could go to college and have that team control their rights. Um, so if they wanted to, you know, let's say you were picked in the second round and there wasn't guaranteed money, you could go to college and much like baseball. So the baseball model works like this. You're probably familiar with it, but if those of you listening out there aren't, the baseball sure. model is you get drafted right out of high school. If you if you sign, you can sign pro right away out of high school. If you decide to go to college and you got to play for three years of yeah. college, right? And and that and then and then you get to re-enter the draft as a junior. I I would love to. I would love that type of deal for college basketball where you can go pro right away if you're good enough. And if you're not, you go to college for three years. And in many instances with baseball, the kids who go to college are every bit as high draft picks as those kids coming straight out of high school. Um, it happens all the time where college pitchers number one overall. So, I mean, it, it can happen. That way. The difference being is baseball is a little harder to identify talent than basketball. Right. But I, I still think some say. sort of commitment like that would be nice. Yeah, the problem with baseball is that you get players. I mean, God, baseball requires so many different skills and such a crazy, like, high skill set. Um, I mean, a lot of these players, like Joey Votto is like my favorite, one of my favorite baseball players of all time. Joey Votto didn't join the Reds, you know, as a major leaguer until he was 27 years old. So, like, it's, you know, it's just one of those things. And I think in basketball, you can make more of an immediate impact and, and really you know, show your stuff as an 18, 19, 20 year old. But I will say that I, I like the idea of giving. Yeah, I want to I want to give people a safety net. I want to give players if they want to make that decision. I, I like the idea of saying, all right, they can test the waters and then come back and play college if they want to. Yeah. And I think honestly, I think college would I think they would enjoy that. I think they would like that idea because that would give them the ability to kind of say, all right, well, you know, maybe this isn't going to this recruit or whatever isn't going to work out immediately, but we still have this you know, opportunity to back it up and we still have the chance to hold on to that talent yeah. in some way uh, rather than just losing it after a year. Because frankly, like, you know, I don't love the one and done thing because I just don't think it serves either college basketball very well or the player very well. If you got a player that's good enough to go to the NBA right out of high school, they should have the ability and the choice to do that. And if you're a basketball team, you can't build really anything, you know, over, you know, consistently over the course of several years, you're just dealing with one and dones all the time. And that's such a precarious position to be in. So, yeah, I, I would hope they would go to something more like the baseball model or just, you know, allow kids to sign out of high school. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see yeah, how we'll that see, goes. We'll see I, what happens with it. I think it depends on the coach. I, I think Chris Holtman is the kind of guy, especially with his background and, you know, where he's come from, who can build a team in that kind of situation pretty well. I think he'll understand how to recruit guys that will stick around yeah. and whatnot. But other coaches are going to really have a hard time adjusting to a new reality where they don't have an entire roster of one and done. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And I don't I mean, I don't know if the money will change too. Like, will there be as much of a demand for an NCAA tournament that doesn't have the 20 best 19 year olds? I don't know. I don't know. That, All because right. it's not, you're not, we'll I mean, a lot of times you're not watching for allegiance. You're watching for the, for the spectacle, right? You're, you're watching it because it's, it's March Madness. So, yeah, but I right. think we're also watching it knowing that it's the second best basketball, you know, that you're, you're seeing kids who are going to, like, I think it matters that, you know, in March Madness that, like, you know, Steph Curry played at Davidson. Sure. Yeah, no, that's you know, absolutely I mean, the, the fact that we had Greg Oden. And, yeah, and you knew that, like, Greg Oden was going to be the number one pick in the draft. Right. You know, true. there was – his games mattered more um, because you were you were watching who you thought would be, you know, an NBA star. Um, I think yeah. that – I do think that really contributes. We've had, you know, no no early – no one and done before. 
it happened it was forever until um early 2000s when this went into effect Kevin Garnett was the first one to do it um, in the modern era, but Moses Malone went right. Daryl Dawkins went right to the NBA uh, from high school. Both of those guys did. But then forever, nobody did it because the money wasn't there in basketball, right? So, you know, you were always going to go to college first because the NBA money wasn't that great. And then when the NBA money got so great, then all of a sudden you had guys like Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler, who thankfully for for Tyson had a, has really appointed himself quite well. But there's a lot of kids who didn't, who got a lot of money quick and didn't know what to do with it. I think of Robert Swift and Corleone Young, uh, Kwame Brown. I mean, there's and Kwame actually had a decent oh, career, man. but it's, it's really hard to there's – there's a lot of – you hear people say Kobe and Garnett, and those for sure, those guys exist. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of guys whose names you forget who were drafted very high who disappeared off the planet. And that doesn't mean that college is going to solve that. I don't know. I don't, college, I don't know if college solves that problem or not. Um, but that's the reason that one and done came in because the NBA was like, look, we're – we're having teams take players out of high school and trying to sell their fans on uh, high school players. And, and it's an impossible sell because we're getting kids. We don't have time to develop them. We're the NBA. So why the college football NFL model is so perfect for everybody except their kid, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> right. Or, and it's pretty good for them too, because they, they do train them to be pros. So it's not the yeah. worst thing for them either. I just wish there's a little more, uh, you know, compensation uh, that was a little bit closer. Um, got to put a little bit of a tangent there, but it's it's going to be a topic that, that gets going and, and has a lot of juice to it over the next couple of years. So it'll be Iowa tonight by the time you listen to this, then at Purdue for the Buckeyes, then at Northwestern, then close it out with Wisconsin at home. That is the stretch you're looking at. Uh, Johnny and I both feel two and two is, is the minimum requirement to feel very good about hopes because when you're talking about being a seven seed, now you're talking about winning the first round, but then it's almost certainly going to be playing. You'll be playing the two seed which would be a very, very tough spot. So I think two and two win the first round of the Big Ten, and you're probably going to get in at nine and 11 in the league, which is, says a lot about uh, where we are right now in college basketball. Um, NFL draft combine this week. Do you guys get – do you have a sense that the, the – do, do the Buckeye fans, the, 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 people, the patrons who, who spend the time on the site, do they crave this information on the I former so. Buckeye players? Do they? Okay. I never yeah. can tell. Like I, I never have. I don't have a real good sense. Like if, if Buckeye fans, I know certainly pride, prideful of the former Buckeyes in the NFL, but I don't know if if they're hanging on what they do uh, day in day out. Certainly the way that they did when they were at Ohio State. If there is a little bit of a divorce once they go to the pros, and this would be the first step of this. We we're gonna have a chance to again like just be all over the draft with. Uh, I've not found a single mock draft that does not have Joey Bo or Nick Bosa going number one. Um, I have not seen a single mock draft that has any quarterback other than Dwayne Haskins being the first quarterback taken. And I see a lot of drafts that has Draymond Jones going in the first round as well. So um, for, for whatever, for all that happened this year, it's an incredible impact that will be had again on the draft. I saw one really trolly mock draft that I think had Rashawn Gary at number one and Nick Bosa. Oh, like, boy, I know it was, just, it was the dumbest thing in the world, but it's just, you know, look, there's 500 mock drafts. I got to do something to get my, you know, my clicks. So I'm going to put Gary at number one. Yeah. I, you know, I am interested in the draft as a whole. I've become less interested in the combine than I used to be, but I think I, I still understand the, the, the appeal of it, the interest in it, because I think, it's another tangible way that you can watch Ohio State players or former Ohio State players stack up against other college athletes. So, you know, you've got you have a sense where 
one team beats another that, okay, our players are better than yours. But if you want to have bragging rights, you can say indisputably, this guy ran faster. This guy, you know, had more bench yeah. presses and things like that. And it doesn't really mean anything, but it's, it's one of those competitive things that I think people get into so they can kind of say, all right, well, you know, Nick Bosa just ran the shuttle in like 4.28 or something like that. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things to be able to kind of put another feather in your cap and show to other college teams like this is the type of athlete that goes to Ohio State. And I, I get that. I understand that. It's not as exciting for me as it used to be, especially because, you know, there would be situations where let's take Beanie Wells, for example. You know, if Beanie Wells is running the 40, like I'm curious about that. I want to see what a timed 40 on a level playing field is going to look like because you get all these yeah, you, know, you get all these numbers and stats from the colleges that nobody truly believes. And it's it's just kind of see it's interesting to see what it looks like on a level playing field. The other thing that I like to see is there are players that get a lot of love and pre-combine, you know, press and publicity that they maybe didn't get while they were athletes at Ohio State. And I I like to see that too. I like to see a guy that maybe only got a third of the opportunities to catch the ball at Ohio state, but yeah. then comes out in the combine and then people are like, all right, well, this guy just like had a combine and he's up into a second or third round pick. So that's the kind of stuff I like to pay attention to, but I don't, I don't sit there on combine day and watch every single rep and every single, you know, shuttle. Run yeah. And things like that. I think that, I think that the receivers McLaurin and Campbell both could have those type of combine days. Absolutely. I think, I think both those kids, well, McLaurin's going to, Terry could play. He he play special teams to be an all pro, but um, I think both those guys will run really well and catch really well. And I think they were slept on a little bit because I don't think people even realized that Haskins threw for five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns. And I don't think people <laughs> yeah. realized what. The, honestly, like I think no, you're not asking, wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. I think if you weren't around to like even people who watch college football and pay attention to it and say, you know, what's your best guess on what Dwayne Haskins stats for his senior year? I don't think anybody get close. No, I'm going over there. They would, say, they would probably say three. I'm going to do that game. Get five thousand. Nobody have close. I'm going to do that. This this is a good radio bit. So I'm over there Wednesday for the for the radio shows, and I'm going to I'm going to do just that. I'm going to have like NFL guests on. I'm going to just I'm going to just say, how many yards do you think Dwayne Haskins threw for? That would be perfect. And I get I bet you most people think 3,800, 30. You know, I guarantee right. you. That, I'd be shocked. I bet most people don't even realize. I think most people slept on the Ohio State offense this year. Because the only thing anybody paid attention to with Ohio State in 2018 was the urban stuff. Right. That's it. Like, right. And that's why Haskins finished just a distant third in the Heisman, and that's why they were such a forgotten team. And it was such a disservice. And I think that's why Haskins is a little underrated. I think that's why Campbell and McLaurin are a little underrated. Um, and I, I think a lot of it could come home to roost at the Combine starting this week. So I think Dwayne will play really well. I think he'll throw it really well. I think he'll wow people in the interviews. And I think those receivers are going to put up big, big weeks at the Combine. Yeah. And I, this is an opportunity. It, it may not be for me, it's not particularly riveting television, but I really love the idea yeah. that the combine can give these guys the opportunity to make millions of extra dollars. I think that's great. And yeah. I, I think again, the their combine is filled with such ridiculous BS in so many different ways. I mean, the interviews and stuff that they do every year, you hear about insane, crazy crap that they ask these guys is if it had any bearing whatsoever on them as football players. But the fact that they can still perform and make millions of dollars for themselves, I think is, is good. That's a good thing. And I like that. And I also like the, the mental game that some of these players play with, you know, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do that just because they understand that the way they're evaluated is so ridiculously 
just overblown that they know that they're only going to show their best, but they'll still make millions from doing that. I just, I don't know. I, I like the mind game that they can play. I like the fact that they make more money and I hope guys like McLaurin and, and Paris Campbell can do that. I hope that they deserve to, because they had incredible seasons and that they are talented players and they deserve to make millions of dollars in the NFL. Yeah, I think they will. Uh, yeah. I mean, you feel like Terry's going to play 10 years in the league. Yeah, it just seems like a lock that he'll do that. So um, it's it's a chance for all those guys, you know, to to right a little wrong and um, in kind of the way that they were perceived this year at Ohio State. I, again, I think I think all of those guys. I think you know, Nick, he's been such a lock number one forever. Like, I mean, there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to change that. I think people slept on Draymond Jones a little bit. So um, yeah, lots to be excited about once we get time to uh, to get around the draft. Uh, I wanted this real quickly before we get to ask us anything. I wanted to real quickly go over the professional sports landscape in Columbus and and how competitive it is about to be for the entertainment dollar in our fair city. And and I think when you when you start thinking about what the Blue Jackets did in the last week with really going for it. I mean, they they went all in. They pushed yeah, all the chips in. It was a, it's a gutsy play. If it backfires, uh it it backfires pretty good. Like if you don't sign Duchesne, I don't think they're signing Panarin. Um, it backfires pretty good. Like to me, if they've got to get at least to the second round, and I think maybe the Eastern Conference Finals with this type of of buy-in that they did here. Um, but but they went all in. If you, I don't know that Columbus professional sports has ever has ever been healthier. You have a legitimate Eastern Conference contender in the Blue Jackets in the in the National Hockey League. You have saved the crew. Yeah, a bunch of fans got together and made a city that is incredibly prideful and didn't want to lose its professional soccer team, uh, get behind it, and then they just so happened to be a billionaire two hours up the road in Cleveland wanted to add to his professional sports uh, in, his, in his repertoire, so they decided to add uh, Columbus and the Haslam's. Like, it was really the perfect storm, but it all started with a bunch of fans who most people you know, laughed off or ignored in the beginning, and, and now you're going to get a stadium in two years downtown? Like, that's going to be a big deal. That's yeah. a real big deal. That changes the landscape. Um, you're getting arena football back. It's not on the level of the other two, but that was a 9, 10, 11,000 a night situation um, when the Destroyers were in their heyday. And, of course, you still have the Clippers. And then you have Ohio State. And so all these things, we have 10,000 people going to hockey. Like We have a big city, a big, vibrant city with a lot of money, but the fight for the entertainment dollar is about to get pretty fierce. We haven't right. had it this way. Columbus has never had it this way. Not this Here's season. what I would Here's what I would say about that, and, and this is – it's interesting because I was reading an article today about a proposed uh, – Ohio State wants to do a lot of development in West Campus. Like, they they, they want to have this, like, basically development park, this 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 entire, like, uh, futuristic, let's make a bunch of inventions, let's do a lot of experiments kind of thing, a lot of science and whatnot. And it got me thinking that part of the reason why, you know, the crew is back and part of the reason why the Blue Jackets have been, you know, relatively successful in the past few years – I think it's because it's tied into construction and development in Columbus. And if you can do that and say, this is going to be like a development park where we're going to be putting in multi-use, you know, buildings, we're going to put in, you know, apartments and, and other businesses and whatnot that can really help energize a city that still has a lot of land to, you know, be developed and a lot of money to throw at it. And they yeah. were able to save the crew, I think in part because you have a really perfect place for them. Uh, yeah. You've got a lot of money in the Haslam's obviously, but I just, you know, it's interesting to me how it feels like, you know, with the Blue Jackets and Nationwide Arena and that entire arena district, 
and what they're going to try to do to bridge the gap between Franklinton and the Arena District with the new Cruise Stadium. It, it all yeah. is really tied into this construction element. And it's it's fascinating to me because it's, first of all, your first part with the Blue Jackets, like you want to see a winner. And if you can put money into it and then the Blue Jackets are willing to spend money, like I love seeing that. It's It's just a really cool confluence of events. And I hope it ends with the Blue Jackets getting out of the first round of the playoffs. So, yeah, they have to. They yeah, have to. I think. And they, I, I think the Blue Jackets you know are critical. And even if they don't, I appreciate the fact that they at least went all in. They didn't try to hedge, and they didn't say, you know what? Yeah. Well, let's just try for next year, guys. Let's trade Panarin. Let's get some. Let's get something out of it. Screw it. Go yeah. for broke. Get all the guys in that you can. Get Duchesne. Get Zingle. Get everybody that you have come back to Columbus, at least for this playoff run. And if something great happens and something great happens, and if you lose all of them, you lose all of them, but at least you still have a core of a team that you can, you know, continue to try to build around. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, I wonder, obviously the, this was the, the, the blue Jackets had bold leadership that went all in. I get it. But I also think that there was, this is a critical time for that franchise. Yeah. Um, you know, because the McConnell's have lost money on that franchise for years. And you just wonder, like, how long are they going to lose money without seeing some sort of return in April and May? Uh, at some point, they have to see something. And the, the arena deal is not a great one. And and you just wonder, like, at what point, how, you know, how it ha- for it to, it's got to stay viable. You've got to win at some point. You can't just always be this team, this plucky little team that gets to the playoffs. So, you know, they went all in. And then I also think that the fact that, you know, you've got the crew coming. The crew are going to get more the crew got more attention in the last year than they did in the previous 22 from the yeah. local media. Right. Combined. I mean, nobody right. cared about the crew in that town, not the corporate people, not the money, not, I mean, the media, they did, you did the best you could, but it wasn't anything that got, you know, the attention that say the blue jackets got not even close. Well, now they will, they are, uh, yeah. they are going to be a hot team to cover, to go to when the new stadium comes, look out. Um, it will be a thing. It will be a thing to do um, in Columbus. And so there's this is there's a competitive fight for the entertainment dollar uh, that will continue. And it's, hey, look, it's it's going to rise everybody up. You're going to have to be at your best if you want people to spend their money on you. So I, I think in the end, everyone's going to win from it. But it's an exciting time professionally and then obviously everything with Ohio State. Be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. And don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter. Rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast time for ask us any what do you have for us all right well let's let's get into this so you guys continue please to send those questions to us they've been really good lately uh, you can send them to dubcast at 11 warriors.com or at 11 dubcast i'm gonna start here with brandon brandon uh you know we, we were talking a little about bo Pelini probably being the likely choice which i oh, definitely 100 sure. agree with let's say he's out in a couple years who would they go after bo Pelini? Let's say Bo Pelini wasn't the choice. If you had to make a hiring decision at Ohio State without the Urban Meyer influence in the past two or three seasons, what would you end up choosing? Who would you end up choosing? All right, so the gimmick is, is this to take it back to when we hired Urban or is this to take it back to like two years ago? So, yeah, like two years ago in a world where Bo Pelini has just been fired as the head coach of Ohio State. Oh, okay. So you hire Pelini and now it's time to hire somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. All right. I think, I think Matt Campbell would have been the guy and I'm a little bit surprised he wasn't contacted. Um, one at Toledo is winning at Iowa state. Ohioan would have crawled bare chested over barbed wire all the way from Ames <laughs> to Columbus for the job. Uh, good energy, young guy, smart, good offense. 
Um, to me, that would have been the guy that, and I think I'm, I'm really surprised he didn't get interviewed. Um, yeah. when Ryan, and I like Ryan a lot. I mean, I think Ryan's do a good job, but like, I'm a little surprised he didn't contact Matt Campbell and say, Hey, what do you think? Yeah, I think given the way that hiring has gone in college football recently, especially if you look at the dude, you know, like you're looking at Lincoln Riley and all that, you're, you're going after a guy like Campbell. I think that would definitely be pretty high on the list. He also adds, Brandon also has, uh, adds, uh, would there have been a better pairing of coach to blogger than Polini and DJ Burns? And I will tell you that there would not have been. That would have been incredible. No, DJ would have, DJ would be, DJ would have written a New York Times bestseller. If, if that was the case i mean if both could have been just unfiltered then it would have been it would have been an american classic yeah that would have been pretty incredible uh yeah. this one's from our good friend alvin just real quick breakfast yeah or nay oh yes every day every day every day wow i you know what i love breakfast i'm a big breakfast fan but i just don't ever make the time for it i grab a banana on my way out and then that's it and then I well, I guess if you mean like, cool. am I having like bacon and eggs and pancakes? I don't have that, but sure. I always have. I always have either. I always have either either fruit or eggs. Something you got to get. You got to fuel the body. It's an. It's really critical. You got to fuel the body. So it's, yeah. you know, I always. <laughs> You're I not wrong. Breakfast. I just. I I spend you know six to eight hours a day yelling at kids, and I you know I don't even take water with me in the classroom, and I'm, by the end of the day I feel like I'm Johnny. dead. Like my body is eating. I bet you do. Yeah, do me a favor. Mix in a breakfast, drink some water, and you'll feel better. Yeah, that's probably that's good advice. That would help. I'm a 34 year old man. I'm going to try to figure it out one day. It'll work out. Water and breakfast. Have a a few (laughs) eggs in the morning before you go. Do that. We got some eggs. I'll try to throw those in there. It'll be good. Uh, yeah. this, this question is from Suncard 19. Uh, he just wants to know, this is it kind of maybe a little philosophical question, but what's the good, what's the difference between a good podcast and a great podcast? The people doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's the commodity. I mean, there's no, anybody can do a podcast. There's a billion podcasts, billion. The only one, the ones that separate are the ones that have people that you value their opinion and have chemistry. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, the one thing about our business, uh, whether it's this or radio, or when I was in TV, or you know, even the site, whatever, like, are you are you someone who is a entertaining, b opinion that they want to hear from, and and then a personal some sort of connection? I mean, that's that's the whole deal. And if you don't, if people don't go to the site, there's no site. If people don't listen to podcasts, there's no podcast. If people don't listen to me on the radio. There's no radio show for me. Like that's yeah. it. It's zero sum. That's it. So that's that's the difference. <laughs> you win with people, great. man. I mean, it's, that's you know, it. I that's totally agree with that. And you, you've got to be able to, I think, just connect with people who are not in the room with you. And you've got to be able to have, I think the opinion is the biggest part. You've got to be able to have an opinion and a take on something that isn't just reactionary. It's got to be something that you actually give a crap about and something that you've thought I'm about. Genuine. Yeah, exactly. And that's with anything. Anytime you're in any kind of job that's about communication, you have to be genuine. I don't care. Yeah. I was at a meeting today with uh, with a student and his parent. And, you know, he, he's not a bad kid or anything. It wasn't like in any big trouble or anything. We were just kind of giving an update on how he was doing. And, like, I can't sit there. When I started to talk, I talked in this voice. And this is the voice I always talk in. This is, how, this is what I sound like and act like when I teach. This is what I sound yeah. like and act like when I'm Always on the, the podcast. This is what yeah. I sound like and talk like when I'm meeting people in general and talking in general. 
because you have to be genuine, you have to be yourself. And yep. that, not everybody is the kind of person that's going to be able to be, you know, talking to people all the time and, and spending their entire lives and careers at a job where you talk all the time. But that's okay. I'm just saying, yeah. if you want to be in this kind of work, whether it's, you know, you're a publicist or you're a teacher or you're on the radio or anything else, you have to be authentic. You have to be genuine. You have to have an opinion and you have to enjoy expressing all those things. And if yeah. you have those things, then I think you'll have a great show or podcast because it's, it's going to be you. So I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty vital. Uh, last one here. This is from James. This is, we are the 11 Dubcast evolved so slowly into a history podcast that I didn't even notice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but James, no, James is asking uh, who are our favorite <laughs> under the radar presidents. So we can't, can't be Teddy Roosevelt. Can't be FDR. Can't be Abraham Lincoln. Do you, do you, Bo Bishop, do you have any favorite under the radar president? I like Truman. Is he okay. under the radar? Great choice. No, Truman's an excellent choice. Why would you, why would you add Truman to that? I think he was a president. I mean, that's, he had to do, I mean, that's big boy work he had to do. He yeah, started man. ordering A-bombs and, you know, I mean, it's, that's big boy stuff that he had to do. And, uh, you know, okay. A couple of things about Truman. Truman, first of all, was added as kind of an afterthought to FDR's fourth presidential campaign. Like he was just this bumpkin mm-hmm. from Missouri. They're like, whatever, Truman, fine. And he didn't know about the Manhattan Project until he became president. So imagine, <laughs> imagine you're Harry Truman and oh. you've been sitting there, you've been sitting there doing nothing for how who knows how long because you're the vice yeah. president, which was a nothing job and still essentially is a nothing job. But it, you're sitting there doing nothing. And That's then right. one day you become president, and then the next day you get a letter in the mail from like Oppenheimer or whoever was talking to you. I think it might have been Stenson or somebody, somebody in the State Department basically says, hey, uh, we need to talk like right now. <laughs> yeah. And then you find out that you have a weapon that can destroy entire cities in seconds. And it's just yeah. it's, it's mind boggling what he had to go through. Then he had to leave the country through Korea, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the social stuff that was going on in the United States at the time, the dude just it's it's fascinating what was just thrust upon this guy that he was. Yeah. Nobody could prepare Did pretty well. Yeah. Truman is yeah. an excellent choice, I think, for, I like, for I like an underrated uh, president. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with, so this is, I don't know that he's necessarily underrated. I think he's maybe, um, I think, I would say that as far as the way he's remembered, he is justly not viewed as a super successful president. But I also think that we don't focus on the things that he did do, which were groundbreaking. And the totality of his career was really incredible, which is Lyndon Johnson, who yeah, he will always be tied to right. Vietnam, and he should be because it was yeah. a terrible mistake escalating the war in Vietnam, and he is absolutely responsible for so many of the deaths and destruction and stuff that happened. He cannot escape that, and he shouldn't escape that. But his career as a uh, congressman before he was president is one of the most accomplished careers of any congressman in U.S. history. It's absolutely insane. And the fact yeah. that he was able to pass the Civil Rights Act in such short order after Kennedy got assassinated is really remarkable. And his devotion to, uh, you know, protecting and helping out the poor in the United States is really just admirable. So this he's such a weird figure because he's the six foot three Texan who is flatulent and you know, boorish and 
mean and weird and just an odd dude and the best by the way the best presidential audio of all time bo i don't know if oh you my heard gosh that. i have yeah you, okay oh, yeah. yeah him ordering this the the pants yeah <laughs> and talking He's about great. how he doesn't want to ride up in his bunghole and stuff like that yeah. just a weird dude and it just i don't think he gets the attention that he deserves as a president not necessarily because he's a great president overall because the vietnam again is inexcusable but just who he was is just endlessly fascinating and i think we need to talk more about him because he, he says a lot about our current politics i think as well um yeah but yeah he's a fascinating dude so that would be my choice yeah. uh and that's that's ask us anything guys again great set of questions continue sending those in that was excellent i appreciate it uh, real quick, what do you think of Arya in awe of the dragons? Oh my and, god, uh, the unsullied walking towards Winterfell. Uh, she's gonna I love, love Danny and her are gonna be BFFs forever. Yeah, they are. They're gonna be arm in arm killing she, White Walkers. Was, it's gonna be so loving. Baller. I cannot wait. That's gonna be great. She loves the dragons, right? Like, yeah, she just loves the dragons. So that's cool. I just wonder, like, what are the unsullied's uniforms gonna be? How are they gonna stay warm? <laughs> they shouldn't. I I hope they don't. I hope they wear the same thing. To show like how badass they are. Yeah, oh, screw God. it. They're trained. They're trained to, to deal with pain. They can take it. Yeah, that's a lot. I don't know if you can freeze solid. Um, <laughs> all right. Do you think that the battle will happen first? Last thing. Do you think the battle will happen first uh, with the White Walkers and then between Cersei and Danny and I John? Think so. Yeah, I think that's so. I think so. I think they'll start off. I think the season will just start off for the bank they'll they'll do the prerequisite hey nice to meet you kind of stuff at winterfell for a little bit and then i think they'll spend the next two episodes just getting at it and then you'll see the intrigue kind of wind it down a little bit that's what i expect anyway yeah because you have two battles and you can't fight the cersei battle first because no all the important people are in the north so you know i think you have to you fight the walkers first you defeat them and then you move on that's anytime people come with me with theories about Night King winning and all this stuff. I'm like, I, I just don't. I, you got to remember, this is a television show. Yeah, like, Cersei's the end game. The idea, yeah, that she's the end game, and you have to think like, if is HBO going to greenlight all of this money way back when they greenlight greenlit this series, and the end game is that a army of dead win? I just don't think you do that <laughs> as a television network. No, don't. that's not going to happen. I, I think what you have to do is you you thin out the opposition in the first half of the season. And then you have them try to confront Cersei with like a skeleton crew, maybe literally a skeleton crew at the very end yeah. and, and try to try to pull something out of your hat. So we'll see what happens. With and then that. it is with her. Like clearly, Jamie's going to kill Cersei. Yeah. Right. And that would be I mean, that would be sick. I think that'll be a pretty crazy way to I, honestly, that may be one of the last things that happens in the series. That may be the final, you know, Him. to kind of reflect what happened with uh, with Bran at the very beginning of the series. So, yeah. Could be Arya getting her too in Jamie's face. That would that be happen. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, that would be the way. All right, I'm good stuff. Uh, back next week, two more basketball games. Uh, the combine will be in the middle of it. Uh, I don't think Dwayne will have throws over the weekend, so we will get a little bit feel a little bit better feel about that. Then before we know, we got spring football. So much more to talk about coming up soon. Keep those ask us anything's coming. John, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Yep, talk to you next week.